Everyone always knew social media would change election campaigns, but along with the positive changes, this campaign has seen a number of candidates felled by their social media past. Did the parties not vet candidates properly, or is it impossible to expect to know every little comment a candidate has made online? Lots to put to our insiders tonight, Kathleen, David, and Jamie. So I don't want to pick on anyone here, but there's a recurring... <laughs> there's nine candidates dismissed or who have, have stepped down in this campaign so far. Um, a lot of them have been yours. Is there something wrong with the process? Is the process changing? What's going on? Well, the process is changing for sure. I mean, we've always had candidates who forgot that they were arrested or <laughs> forgot that they didn't actually complete that degree or forgot they were once married. And these things would used to take a whole bunch of effort to come to the fore. Now, thanks to Google and to others, it's a much easier thing to do. So it is changing. I think one of the questions we've got to ask ourselves is, Every time someone did something stupid, when they were in university, were they young, should this really count as a, as a disqualifier forever? And I think we're going to have to rethink some of these things. So we'll I don't think they're to, all yeah, quite we'll, that important. We'll come back to that discussion in a moment. But, but first, uh, Kathleen, what, what is the process? I mean, you guys know Google. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, the process really when someone wants to put themselves forward for public office is that they have to fill out a candidate, you know, package, information package. And things that are investigated are things like, you you know, your work history, your real estate ownings, any memberships you may have or associations. And, um, and the parties, once the candidate fills that, that form out, then the parties do a Q&A. And the ultimate question that is on any um, candidate information package is this. Is there anything that you haven't disclosed in this package that may bring embarrassment upon the party? And clearly, we have seen some cases in this election in 2015 of where, you know, maybe peeing in a cup uh, would constitute embarrassment upon the party and should have been disqualified the candidate. Well, that one may go down in history, but is the onus on the candidate to say, yes, I've done these embarrassing things? Isn't there, well, like, what's the process? Well, uh, I think the onus is in a large measure on the candidate yeah. to disclose these things, because frankly, it's ultimately in their best interest as well as the party's best interest for them to disclose. It allows the issue to be managed in a much more effective way. Uh, the Liberal Party has something called a Green Light Committee, and I presume the other parties have some version of this, where anybody who wants to seek a nomination has to go through this vetting process, and they go through the things that Kathleen talked about. And the process has changed over time. We put candidates through... So how do they We put through? candidates through credit checks. We put candidates through criminal checks. And yeah. I remember when we first did that in 2004, that was very controversial inside the Liberal Party to do criminal checks. But I actually am going to take a slightly different tack. I'm not sure that nine people out of the thousands of people who sought nominations uh, for the three parties and for the various parties across the country, is that many uh, to have slipped through? The people doing the vetting are, I presume in the other parties as well, volunteers, uh, and they go through the process that Kathleen talked about, and then they do social media checks and they try to do online checks. But it is impossible to find everything. But I think nothing takes the place of your own self-vet, right? There's candidates, as David has said, should vet themselves and say, you know, should I really put myself forward for public office? But also it takes political judgment on behalf of the party to kind of size up the individual. For instance, but in now case, we have these bloggers, right, who are going mm -hmm. out and they're investigating. It's not just the parties, because the parties have always done that. They've always looked to weaken the opponent. Uh, but we have, we have bloggers now. In the past, what have parties done? Like in, and, and how do some of these things come forward? Do you save it up for special? special moments uh, if you do have something that's not trivial 
But something that actually matters that you think people need to know about it. Well, in the past, you know, opposition researchers would skulk down to the courthouse and dig out, you know, former divorce agreements or any kind of real estate holdings and kind of air that kind of stuff. Now it happens online. And what's interesting about this campaign is the vetting is not so much happening internally to the parties, but it's actually happening by citizen vetters. And mm. this is really interesting. So people without necessarily a partisan identification who are doing this um, themselves on their own accord. Like we got a tip about Jerry Bands. I mean, that was brown envelope to somebody, right? So when you do it on your own candidates, it's called vetting. Yeah. When you do it on the other people's candidates, it's called opposition research, <laughs> right? And the same, it's the same activity. And what people used to do is they would find something out that would be embarrassing to an opponent, and they would save it up often for the day of a debate. Hmm. Right, and they would they would leak it to the media the morning of the debate, so the other side would open the new newspaper that morning, and there'd be some scandal or some faux scandal, but it would have the effect of of throwing the other, hopefully throwing the other side off their game for the day, well, and rattling this, the candidate for the debate. So that's a time. This blogger now is saying that he's got a few more. He's going to save it for the nomination's deadline, where I guess you can't. So there's more to come. What do you do, David? I mean, I'm sure it's happened to all of you. What do you do when you have to make a decision about somebody in your camp who's been embarrassed mid-campaign? Well, I mean, the reason why it's so beneficial for the candidate to reveal everything to the party is it allows you to say that in, in context, that's not that bad and we can manage this and we can put this out in a way that will be okay for you. Um, but if it happens in the heat of the writ period and the party's blindsided by it and frankly angry because you didn't disclose it, you're likely to get fired. You do, you fir the first thing that you do is sit down with the candidate and talk to them and say, what is the story here, and what is the context behind what you said, and what do you believe about this now? And if you can save the candidate, you want to save the candidate. But if there's not enough contrition on the candidate's part, or if the offense is too egregious, then you've got to cut your losses right away, because you do not want to spend. Every one of these things has cost a leader part of the campaign explaining away or talking about these things. And that's a day even in an election this long, that you can't lose. Yeah, and to, just to underscore David's point is that, you know, in a 36-day uh, campaign, this campaign's a lot longer than that, um, you had a typical budget be $24 million for a 36-, 37-day campaign. So we're talking a half million dollars a day. So if you are spending one whole day on the campaign trail dealing with a candidate that uh, should be ditched, that's a, a huge waste of money, time, and effort. Mm. How do you decide when somebody's got to go? Like, how, what's, what's the line? Well, as David says, it depends when in the campaign is happening. And, you know, when, when the campaign is tight and tough and uh, the fight is on, you don't have patience, you don't have time, you don't have energy, really, to defend those candidates. So they're much more likely to go because they're costing you more than if that had come up, you know, earlier along. I mean, everyone's got secrets in their lives. And if you want to run for public office, one of the things you have to come face to face with is some of those secrets are going to come out. So what's the best way to do it? But if it's knocking you off message, if it's preventing mm -hmm. you from, from making the points that you need to make, tell you there's one candidate that gets protected in every campaign <laughs> and one candidate yeah, that gets protected leader. and that's the leader you probably vetted him or her <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> um well you've both both of you have hinted at it kathleen i mean the, the, some of these are trivial some of them are offensive 
Um, where are we? Like, do Canadians, it seems it's all very exciting to read about what somebody posted on social media a few years back. But... Well, it's gossip, it's voyeurism, but it's not insignificant. I mean, I can give you an example. In 2011, um, one of my uh, researchers discovered that a Liberal candidate uh, was a part of a white, right, a white rights association, um, Andrew Forbes. And uh, he was a Quebec candidate, and the Liberals um, quickly moved, and rightly so, I think, uh, to, to dump the candidate. But that was, you know, you know, this is not somebody, in my opinion, and not in my party's opinion, and eventually in the Liberal Party's opinion, was somebody who could stand forth for office and should be rejected as a candidate. So some of the research that comes to light is important. One I mean, maybe P-gate, not so much. But <laughs> One of the things about social media is that those kind of people probably would have slid through before social media. Right. Because in the days before social media, very few candidates were on the public record mm -hmm. with their beliefs and what they thought at any given point in time. Now almost mm -hmm. everybody is on the record. And so... You know, if you're, uh, if you're a racist or if you hold offensive views of any kind, it's likely that you've hinted at that somewhere along so the line on your Twitter or Facebook but account. But here's what we're going to have to figure out. When do these things go to character and go to the fundamental belief mm -hmm. of a candidate, which mm -hmm. should disqualify them for public office, and when were they normal, natural, stupid shenanigans of youth? That we all because have. If, if we, people were looking into what we were doing. That, I just I want to move on to what's connected. Does this turn off people that you would want to recruit? Like, is everybody terrified now? There's no point, Kathleen, and me ever running for office because somebody will find something I did stupid when I was 18 years old. Well, I, certainly as I talk to a lot of women candidates trying to recruit them and they see these stories come to light and they say, why would I want to subject myself to that? But I think that those people who are truly committed to public office and public servant, um, you know, go ahead with the process. But it's not for the faint of heart. I think I'm... I, agree with that, but I also really agree with where Jamie started this discussion off, which is we're going to have to get a little used to the fact that the kind of people that you want in politics are people that are passionate and have ideas and care about things. And when you're 18 years old or 22 years old, you tend to express those things in black and white terms and polarized ways that may not stand the scrutiny of 20 years later when you're looking at it. But I certainly don't want to limit ourselves to the kind of people who from the time that they were 15 years old said, how is this going to affect my future as a politician? Yeah. Last point, uh, I, I have nothing. I think that's uh, precisely right. I don't want the person that never jaywalked, never did anything wrong, that, that's so weird as never to Never made not, a joke. Never made a joke, who's so weird as to not represent uh, mm -hmm. the Canadian people. Mm -hmm. Fundamental character, uh, um, aspects of character, yes. Normal, you know, growing up and youth, no. we got to figure that out. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a few more weeks to go. There may be more to come. Good luck <laughs> to you all. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.